Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hey, Meister fans. Before we talk to our guest today, just want to tell you about an exciting thing that's going on this week. I'll tell them about it, Russell. We have a plethora of items up for grabs. All you have to do to win this stuff is share one of our episodes on Facebook. You'll be entered to win. Make sure that you tag us in your Facebook post so we know that you did it. Sounds pretty easy to me. And now back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Ben. Hey, guys. It's Russell. Today on the show, we have Graham Banks. Graham is a 24-year-old professional snowboarder specializing in both the backcountry and the terrain park. Graham grew up on the beach in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and is an avid surfer and fisher. He now resides in Salt Lake City, Utah, where he graduated from Westminster College while traveling and competing as a professional snowboarder. Graham, it's great to have you on here. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, guys. Happy Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> yeah, you too. I mean, when the episode actually comes out, it'll be about a month from now. It'll so be we'll... this, the Cinco de Juno. <laughs> oh, well, everyone can go ahead and reminisce on their Cinco de Mayo. Perfect. Oh, definitely. Good memories, hopefully. Well, yeah, Graham, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I'm a little confused. Uh, you were a New Englander, just like Ben and I. You skied at Waterville Valley, which is like a half hour from my hometown. And then you moved out west. You left us. Why did you end up doing that? Um, so growing up on Cape Cod, we don't have any type of ski resort or any type of mountains or pretty much no snow. Um, so I would have to actually go to New Hampshire to Waterville to go snowboarding and did that through all of high school. And moving out west just kind of seemed like the next logical move. Everyone I knew who pursued snowboarding went out west after they graduated. So I kind of just followed suit and I had a bunch of friends out here and I've really happy with my decision now (laughs) yeah definitely a lot more terrain out there i'll give you that but i do have a theory and i think that when you grow up on you know skiing the ice and the other eastern conditions that you get i think that makes you a better skier because you're prepared for more and you encounter anything and everything do you agree with me oh for sure you grow up riding the worst conditions possible (laughs) ice all the time you get good edge control and you also you get used to weather, and then you're out there every day, so every day seems nice out west. Every trip I go out west has just been awesome. I've been to Salt Lake City a ton of times, and Park City, I've been there, although I didn't really go to the park kind of like your career is. I, I just watched people and said, okay, I'll never, I'll never try that. But I was a skier and snowboarder myself, so I know what it's like on both sides. But before we dive into your actual snowboarding career uh, as a professional snowboarder, I want to just back up a little bit. And you ended up getting a degree in business management while you were traveling and snowboarding. Why did you end up getting that degree? And why didn't you just focus all your energy on being a pro snowboarder? So a lot of that is actually thanks to my mom and dad. When I graduated, I was kind of on the path that I just wanted to snowboard. And they said, you know, you should really go ahead and do this as well. They actually got a scholarship for snowboarding at Westminster College, which I think is the coolest thing ever. So I did that. And at the time, I wasn't, when I started, I wasn't thrilled about it that my parents wanted me to do that because I just wanted to pursue mm-hmm. snowboarding. But now I'm so glad that they pushed that on me because I, snowboarding doesn't last forever and it's good to have a business side. 
Yeah, and you've taken a bunch of business courses now. I mean, you're you're almost a professional after getting your college degree. Have you been able to transfer any of those skills over from your college courses to uh, on the slopes? Um, I'm actually already starting to do some marketing stuff with one of my sponsors, and it's awesome to be able to understand both sides of things from an athlete standpoint and from a business standpoint of making money for a company. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great balance to have on both sides, especially in a sport like professional skiing and snowboarding because, I mean, you look at the professional basketball players, you most likely will be able to support yourself financially if you're in the NBA or the NFL, but not necessarily for the rest of your life in the case of snowboarding and skiing. So have you thought about at all what's next after snowboarding or are you going with the flow? Um, I actually have thought about it a lot, especially... uh dealing with some injuries lately, so definitely thinking about the post-snowboarding side of things. Mm-hmm. And I'd want to stay in snowboarding for sure. I think I've been paying attention the whole time I've been in snowboarding, and every time I'm in any kind of meeting with a sponsor, I'm just very aware of what's going on. I'd like to stay in it and try and put some of the things that I've learned to use. Yeah, definitely. And you've also done some production, making videos, that sort of thing. And there are a lot of athletes who pursue that balance between the production side and being a professional athlete and i feel like after snowboarding those skills from the you know the production filming side would really translate over to other industries have you thought about doing you know production in something that has nothing to do with snowboarding um i've thought about it a little bit yeah very passionate about surfing and fishing as well and i kind of think that once you learn the business end of things of anything that's got to do with marketing products or marketing the outdoor lifestyle i think it all transfers over just really well yeah so let's get into the competition part of the snowboarding and i want to talk mainly about the slope style competing because a lot of our listeners probably watch it on tv whether it's in the olympics or the dew tour And it's pretty difficult to visualize, obviously, themselves doing something like that. So let's let's break it down and figure out how exactly you do what you do. Uh, So first of all, I'm guessing it starts off as baby steps, right? You go off a smaller jump, and eventually you start learning more and more tricks. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I just started going off little jumps in the park when I would go up there with my family and thought it was so much fun, and it immediately was something that I loved. And then the more and more you do it, you see people who are really good, and you just like, wow, I really want to, really want to do what that person's doing. And then I ended up meeting an awesome coach, and well, he had it down for me and taught me so much about it. What kind of difference has a coach made? Uh, I feel like a lot of pro snowboarders maybe have never had a coach; they just learn on their own. I think having a coach it just gives you a good base of fundamentals of snowboarding. Kind of like golf, you go into golf and are very passionate about it, and you have a bad swing. You can get good at it, but then there's limitations of how good you can get. But once you have a good fundamental base, I think there's no limits on it. So are these coaches specific to the mountain that you're riding at, or do you have to kind of externally go out and find them? The coach that I met, Bill Enos, he coached at Waterville Valley in New Hampshire, and I met him at a contest that was happening in Massachusetts. So I actually went over to New Hampshire for the winters after that and rode with him. Bill Enos is now the current uh, U.S. slopestyle men's snowboard team coach? Yes, he is. He moved on from Waterville, and now he's the Olympic coach for the U.S. team. Good company. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. He, he is an absolute legend. That guy is 
produce so many good snowboarders, it's ridiculous. So, and now let's talk more about the scoring in the competitions that you do, because I actually have no idea how they're scored. I always see the person do the run, and then, you know, they get their score afterward. And I competed in moguls when I was younger, and a lot of people are surprised when they find out that 50% of your score is actually based on the turns, and then 25% on the speed and 25% on the jumps. And a lot of people kind of only look at the jumps themselves. How do the judges score your sport? So the scoring for slopestyle snowboarding, there is a couple of different things that go into it. There is the difficulty of the tricks you do, obviously, which is something that you would find in gymnastics or anything else. Mm-hmm. But then there's a flow and style part of it. And that's a part that I think a lot of people miss. It's not just who's going off the jumps and doing the gnarliest tricks. It's how you link all the tricks together in a run and the fluidity of what you're doing and kind of making it look natural. Yeah, and I know that the way that snowboarders have to kind of handle jumps and rails are very unique compared to skis. What are the differences uh, for skiers and snowboarders in these competitions? I think there used to be bigger differences, but now every contest you see that's like due to skiing and snowboarding, it seems very similar and everyone just trying to link the tricks together the way that they look the best. I think that's the biggest thing, like no reverts in the middle of your run. The flow that you mentioned earlier is something I'm really not familiar with. Can you give me an example of what you would do to make your run have nice flow? Um, Okay, yeah. so certain tricks you would take off regular and land switch, so riding backwards. Mm -hmm. And part of flow would be not reverting back to regular to take off on the next jump. It would be just staying switch, take off switch on the next jump. So you kind of have to plan your tricks out so that when you land switch, you have a trick to take off switch in the next one. Gotcha. So let's say you got a little bit more air than you were expecting on one of the jumps. And rather than landing switch, you said, okay, I'm going to throw in an extra 180 on the end of my jump to make it a higher degree of difficulty. Would that then throw your flow off for the remainder of the jumps? Because then you would be thinking that you should be skiing switch, but in actuality, you're skiing regularly. That actually happens, I think, all the time. Oh, it does. It it definitely throws people off because when you're expecting, you have your whole run planned out a certain way, and then all of a sudden you're going a different direction. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I never really thought of that. Yeah, I I was going to say that, wow, that's kind of a dumb (laughs) question. Russell is going to make fun of me for asking a stupid question. (laughs) Right. Yeah, uh, I think that throws people off all the time. And Mm -hmm. the people, the really great snowboarders can just make it happen after that. And that's like a huge differentiating factor, I think. You know, I'm always fascinated by how one athlete can dominate one sport and kind of separate him or herself. And you look at, you know, like Tiger Woods in golf dominating when they're competing against the best people at their sport. And we've seen it a little bit with Halfpipe and, and Sean White. From a professional athlete standpoint, you, what makes one person that much better than all of the other competition? I honestly think that it's a mindset. Hmm. I think some people... I don't necessarily think it's something you're born with. Some people develop it. Some people always have it. But it's a mindset that they really want to go out and dominate and they really want to go out and win. And I think you can see it in Sean. He's like the most competitive human being on the planet. Like everything he does in his life is a contest. And then I think there's other people who develop it. Like a a good friend of mine, Sage Kotzenberg, just won the Olympics. And I think once you do something like that, you get this confidence. And I think it becomes a lot easier to become dominant. You mentioned one of your friends actually winning. Are you snowboarding with him on a regular basis? Yeah, Sage is a good friend of mine. I uh, lived with him all last winter, snowboarded with him a bunch. Actually, haven't seen too much of him this winter because of the Olympics, and then he's been on a media tour ever since. But yeah, he 
awesome kid, great snowboarder to ride with. How important is it to have people that are at the top of their game riding with you to be able to push you to the next level? Yeah, surrounding yourself with that greater talent. I think it's the most important part of snowboarding. Because all your motivation when you're snowboarding comes from your friends. I mean, the only snowboarder I've ever heard of who doesn't snowboard with a bunch of other guys is Sean White. Oh, really? But I think everyone else just draws all their motivation from their friends. Why do you think he doesn't snowboard with anyone else? I think that goes back to his competitive personality. His mindset, yeah. Yeah, he just is the most competitive person ever. So everything (laughs) he does, he needs to be the best. And that's definitely got something to do with his record of winning everything. (laughs) Does that mess with your head having all these different athletes that are your friends that you practice with and then you have to go out and you're supposed to beat them Hmm. so that you can better financially support yourself and your whole career? Is that kind of mess with your head at all? It doesn't really with me because I I think it's great to see your friends succeed, especially Mm -hmm. in something like snowboarding. I grew up playing football, actually, and it's just such a different mindset in snowboarding. You really want your friends to do well. Yeah, I was going to say that it's almost a polar opposite to other sports where you hear of athletes, you know, becoming friends and then when they get on the court together, when they get on the field together, they're enemies after that. They won't talk to each other afterward. I don't know. It's a different sport. Oh, for sure. And if you were to ever be at the top of a contest course, everyone is such good friends and talking to each other and wishing each other good luck. It's just a cool thing to be a part of. Very interesting to hear. I did not know that. So now we want to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges and the injuries that you've faced uh, within your career. And I I want to go back to an email that you sent me a couple of days ago, which verbatim said, sorry again about the further delay. I was dealing with doctors telling me my career was over. So that doesn't sound like an easy conversation. Was was this doctor being serious? Yeah, this has actually been a kind of a rough month for me. I kind of destroyed my knee in Japan about a month ago, and that was my fifth major knee injury. I went to go see some doctors, got three different opinions, and two of the opinions said you should probably not snowboard anymore. Hmm. Wow. And then one of the doctors gave me a better outlook, said we can try and do a surgery, and I think you'll be able to snowboard again. So naturally, I went with his opinion. (laughs) (laughs) How common are knee injuries in freestyle snowboarding? I didn't used to see very many, but as of lately, I've got a lot more friends who have been dealing with blowing their ACLs and knee injuries and stuff like that. And the unfortunate thing is, I think once you do one serious knee injury, it's almost never Mm. one and done. That has to be a result of the jumps getting bigger, right? Oh, for sure. The jumps now are just, they're huge. I mean, if you can go fast enough to make it over something, people will build (laughs) the jump that's that big. Yeah. So when the doctor tells you something like that, like you really shouldn't be snowboarding, what's going on in your head? Well, for the most part, a little bit thinking, thank God I went to college. (laughs) Um, But on the other side of things, I think just as someone who loves snowboarding, my first instinct is to just not believe them and think that I can, which I think is the attitude you have to have because doctors only understand the average person's mindset. And I think a lot of people involved in snowboarding and skiing and things like that have a little bit of a different mindset. They mentally are going to push through it regardless of what the situation is. I mean, you said you've had a couple of injuries or several injuries. And when you go back to the slopes after the recovery process, whatever, such an important element of jumping and doing tricks correctly is committing to that trick. And after these injuries, does that become difficult? 100 percent it's always in the back of your mind and 
as much as I'd love to say I can shut it out and not think about it, I definitely can't. It's something that I always think about while I'm snowboarding, and even subconsciously when I'm landing, I'd land heavy on my other knee. Mm. And it kind of does start to become a problem after a while. So it takes a lot of thought and just kind of settling yourself down and trusting what the doctors have done. <laughs> what are some of the steps that you need to take to get yourself back to 100%? Um, but one of the things, and this is not something that I think you commonly hear in snowboarding, because we have the anti-jock culture going on and battling with the contest culture, but going to the gym helps a ton. And I grew up playing team sports where that's a very regular thing, so that's something that I do to try and make my knees stronger. Even more mentally, I think, because just once you, once you have a couple serious injuries... It's definitely hard to get past that. Has that kind of affected your competitions that you've been in? Is, is that why you're focusing more on movies? Yeah, for sure. The contest season, it never stops. It goes all summer long. And this is actually my third summer where I'm going to be on crutches all summer. Um, so it doesn't stop. And when you fall out in and out of the contest circuit, it's hard to keep up with that. And that's why doing stuff with media is so much easier is because it's more on your own time and your own schedule. Hmm. Interesting. How much is your health insurance? <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you paying for it? Do your sponsors cover it? How does that work? It's got to be outrageous. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's high. Uh, I definitely, I think I'm about to go through some issues trying to get reinsured, uh-huh. especially because you get hurt and then... You go out and snowboard, and it says on your medical records that you went out and snowboarded again. Oh, oh wow. Which is not, they don't want to see that. Right, But right. Uh, I think, no, sponsors, for me, have nothing to do with it, unfortunately. I really wish they did. Mm-hmm. I don't really know anyone whose sponsors cover stuff like that. I think that's a little bit of an issue. Do they almost put you on pause, or do they continue to support you through your injury? I think it all has to do with the relationship that you have with your sponsors. If you have a really good one and... The people in that company believe in you. I don't think they have any problem supporting you through it. But certain sponsors, I know people that have gotten hurt, and then all of their sponsors have dropped them once they're hurt. It actually happened to a good friend of mine not too long ago. Yeah, this dilemma sounds like a problem a lot of other sports have seen in the past, and I guess a lot of them decided that it was time to start a union. Do you ever think that that's something that'll ever happen in snowboarding? In the future, it's definitely, especially with snowboarding being more in the public eye, I think it's something that probably will come. There's people doing good things. Like I know Chaz Gouldemont is doing awesome things. He's he's a big part of this We Are Snowboarding thing, and it like gives the athletes more of a voice. But as of right now, it's just it's a really cutthroat industry because if anyone who gets hurt, there's five kids that are younger who are going to come up and do the same thing, and they'll do it for less money so (laughs) yeah so so it's interesting because the mainstream sports the the players union is formed to protect them from whatever the franchise is or from whatever the organization is right not necessarily from the sponsorship perspective because their salary normally unless they're kind of these big league guys more of their salary comes from that organization not the sponsorships in snowboarding are you winning and taking more money from prize money or from sponsorship money? I think it all depends on the person and the sponsor situation. Mm -hmm. I know some people that they can win a contest, they can win $10,000 and then their sponsors will all match that. Okay. So then it actually ends up being more from their sponsors. And I know some people very capable of winning contests who actually have no sponsors at the moment. It's all your personal situation. A lot of people, they see the people in the Red Bull helmets and with the energy drink logos And they kind of think that that's the whole field of 
professional snowboarding, but um, there's a whole other side to it of people who are barely scraping by, barely making enough money, and that's it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, what they do for almost nothing. Well, speaking of sponsors, uh, we do like to ask for a specific gear recommendation from our guests, and this can be from a sponsor of yours or not. But what is one piece of gear that our listeners just have to have? Okay, so uh, my board sponsor, Head Snowboards, they're making a board that I am absolutely in love with right now. And I rode it all season, and it is my favorite board that I've ridden from them. It's called the Head Force. I think it is the best board that I've ridden in my entire life. I'm a huge fan. What makes it a good snowboard? I have snowboarded one time in my life, and I'm being completely honest. What makes it a good (laughs) snowboard? They have these basalt stringers down the middle, and they're very responsive. And I think the best way you could translate it into any everyday thing is anytime you're going fast in a car, if you're going, like, I think it'd be the difference in going fast in, like, a go-kart as opposed to (laughs) an Audi. It's just solid, and everything feels solid underneath you. You don't want to be having, like, wiggles and all kinds of crazy stuff going on when you're cruising along at high speed. Does it handle like an Audi, too? (laughs) You know what? It does, just like an Audi. Well, yeah, that's that's a great recommendation. We'll be sure to put that on our website for all of our listeners on your Meister page. To kind of wrap this whole thing up, what's the biggest issue that you're facing or challenge in your professional snowboarding career? Mine right now is definitely the injury part of things. It's, so I've had five knee surgeries so far, and I'm about to go to a photo shoot with Snowboarder Magazine at Mount Hood tomorrow morning. And then as soon as I get home from that, I'm getting another knee surgery. It's going to take me out for the next six months. Well, we wish you the best of luck with all of your knee surgeries, and at least you'll have more time to fish. (laughs) I'm hoping. I'm hoping, for sure. I saw one picture of you, and you had this huge shark that you caught, and I think you said Jaws. I was like, oh, my God. Where do you you even catch sharks? I hope those aren't in Cape Cod, where I'm swimming. Uh, Those are actually down in Florida, uh, but there's plenty of sharks on Cape Cod, unfortunately. (laughs) it's like real life jaws when you're surfing out there yeah oh man well Well, you just kind of dangle that outside your boat and then they don't go anywhere near you uh, hopefully yeah (laughs) you had to establish your dominance yeah well grant thank you so much for joining us uh russell and i really appreciate you taking the time and i say this a lot but russell and i really can't get injured podcasting (laughs) and i know i know it sounds funny but honestly it's well, his voice was pretty hoarse this morning. But. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, to have something that can hold you back from doing what you love or doing what you want to do for a career has to be very mentally and psychologically tasking at times. So we wish you the best of luck. And to all of our listeners out there, as usual, you can find all of the information that we've talked about today, Graham's gear recommendations, some more about him on our website, mtnmeister.com. And Graham... Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you guys so much. It was good talking to you. Hey, Meister fans. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Graham Banks. That guy really seems to know the business of snowboarding. Yeah, definitely. And join us next time on the show when we have Garrett Robbins. Garrett is an ultra marathoner running 100 mile distances in a single race. Yeah, some people intentionally take off their toenails just to be able to endure this beat. <laughs> and don't forget, two more days of the gear giveaway, so check it out.